Okay. Hello, friends. Hello. Um, so, Sean, do you want to start and give us a kind of a status update with the view stuff? Yeah, the view, the view stuff. So that's pretty straightforward. All I managed last weekend was to re-understand how the hell the view stuff works. So that's from there. That. I did like a few code changes and then, yeah. So I just got my head wrapped around it again and got a few code changes. The view thing is really cool looking <laughs> at it again. It's like, it does like, um, cause it has a lot of different modes. So it's not just the query builder. You can also do static queries without a blueprint. So you can just like write view components and it builds a blueprint for you. Um, and then of course it's all completely separated out so you can build whatever UI you want on top of it with completely renderless components. So this really, it turns out it's really, really, really complicated <laughs> <laughs> for, but of course all I need to do for this first, you know, release that we're doing is get it to work in like builder mode. Um, so that's what I'm trying to just focus on, but I had first to get to where I could even focus on that. I had to remember like, how does it all work? Yeah. You feel like you got there? Yeah. Yeah, I remember now. And I remember like our, so like we started using Tailwind UI components since I haven't looked at this probably in like six, seven months, something like that, mm -hmm. since we started on the, uh, the client project. And in the interim, they introduced JavaScript piece, like renderless components to go along with the Tailwind UI components. Is that the headless UI stuff? Yeah. And... I basically had implemented my own version <laughs> of that for a couple of them. And one of them is hard, like a selection dropdown mm. is very hard to do, to be accessible, to have like two choices, multi-select or not, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's just a very complicated delay. And then ours is both a renderless and tailwind component. So that's what I'm doing now is the option select. So like, um, you know, a condition you could select one of many things like a hat that has, potential three like four or five potential colors so like you could choose mm -hmm. brown red blue hats out of a list um so it's like a multi-select option for a query builder and that is is you know we already have that working in the in the back end but like to make it work on the right the drop down is totally custom like beautiful nice looking you know without pulling component. in some janky third party yeah. component yeah, exactly. And that was the choice that I made way back then was like, okay, I'm just gonna write my own because I looked around and it was like, eh, I don't like, I don't like any of these. And this is a pretty important part of our thing. But I also pulled in a big scope of work with that. So that's where it's stuck right now is, is that basically. So well, if it makes you feel better, none of that is wasted because headless UI only supports view three. Oh, okay. So and and react but as far as view goes it's only view three so it's not like oh dang i could have just pulled in headless ui because we're supporting view two so we're good there okay i mean good in that you still have to write it but at least it's not you know it's not a waste cool nice uh anything else on your side That's it. Other than it's a struggle to find the time and energy. Well, it's not really to find the time. It's to find the energy to do it right now. Yeah. You seem pretty maxed out. I am maxed out. I'm like, right. So I just got promoted and then I have two jobs to do for now. 
because we're a small company. So it's not really a still two in, jobs at the job at the one yeah, job. Yeah. And I'm doing kind of, you know, as you'd expect a crappy job of both at the moment, you know, I was like focused on the new gig a little bit, which then called the other thing to fall behind. And people are like, no, this is like, you really got to focus on this. What have you been even doing? You know? And I'm like, Oh no. Ah, so I got to get back to focusing on what that the, stuff. What are the, the context jobs? switching costs is high. <laughs> yeah. Um, the two jobs, uh, it's like I'm doing product. So I'm like the director of product. And then also I'm still the front end developer. We have oh another front end developer part time, but it's basically just me. And there's parts of this stuff that I'm the only person that can really has the technical skills to do for this other part of the product. So I have to, um, and it's a similar situation actually to our select dropdown where it's like we have this really important input type for time entry and I can't just put some drop in thing and I got to solve it for all of our different clients and customers and mm-hmm. all their different devices that they use. And everybody's like, why is time entry so hard? And I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's very, let me, let me tell you about time, <laughs> intricate and, and difficult. And yeah, but then, and then this, the context switching right now is just killing me. It's killing me. Yeah. Those are I very to, different contexts. Yeah, I got that. And then I'm meanwhile trying to like plan the next chunk of work for our team and get that mm. squared away. That's like step, like the first thing that I want to do in my product role is like get any kind of process whatsoever. Well, because that way today I was like, why am I even working on this time entry thing? And they're like, because I couldn't even remember. <laughs> I was like, why are we doing this? Oh, why shunt. is this work important? And like, it would help me decide what to work on or not work on. So I'm trying to fix that problem. And that's important because that's what we do. We just like jump back and forth, uh, you know, in priorities without really having a plan. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to fix, except I have to do it like in the middle of everything is very urgent uh, on the, you know, developer work that I have to do too. So it's exhausting and frustrating. I hate not doing a good job. I hate that. You know, that bothers me. So do you uh, know that you're not doing a good job? Like have other people said that? I wasn't. Yeah. The time input thing. They were definitely like, why is this taking so long? Hurry up, go faster. I mean, I'm doing what I can and it definitely could have gone faster. Um, if I'd been more focused on it. Uh, but yeah. And I can also just tell everybody's like, frustrated that it's just been hanging out for weeks and weeks now which i'm like i get uh yeah but i I don't i like being more aligned with like where people it it doesn't matter i know that's not uh my fault but i still like doing a good job yeah yeah that's not a fun spot to be in i didn't realize you had two jobs at the one job i knew that it was more like i knew that from your promotion it was going to be more like I guess intense or whatever, because you have more responsibilities and you switch to um, five days. But I didn't realize you were kind of still hanging out in both spots. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. And there's still enough work for full time front end dev, to be honest. But the thing is, like, what I have to do is figure out once we figure out our priorities. Cause like the whole, my whole job, my other job is to, one of the main goals is for me to improve developer velocity, you know? Mm. So what's developer velocity? That's a great question. Uh, to me, it means like how it, 
It doesn't matter how fast you write code. If the thing you write, none of our clients or customers care about and it provides no benefit to the business Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So like if there's so many high value things we could work on that, even if I'm not that efficient at it and we don't get as many things done as we possibly could, like who cares? Because Mm -hmm. before we would have been wasting our time on stuff that didn't really matter. So that's why I'm like, I really want to focus on the prioritization piece and get us set up for that. Even though it sucks that like, not much is getting done, you know, for me development wise, cause I'm really focused on that. But once it does, then it doesn't, I won't need to spend 40 hours a week on the front end stuff. I doubt it. And if, if it does come down to that, where we have enough projects that like we need that, well, we'd hire a contractor for temporarily to like bump up mm-hmm. the front end time or whatever. So I, that, but it can't do any of that until I do the prioritization, but then everybody wants me to focus on the code stuff. It's just a stupid, yeah. awkward phase where I just like the solution is, to work more <laughs> for mm. a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's another solution, which is prioritized with my boss, but right now he would prioritize time input. Cause we got this very noisy client who would uh, prefer that get done ASAP. So, you know, is the other stuff urgent? It sounds like the time input stuff is urgent. Is the sprint planning prioritization, all of that urgent? No, it's important, yeah. but not urgent, Super right? Super important, so, but not urgent. But if we yeah. did it, we wouldn't end up in these like urgent, urgent, urgent situations. Right. As I'm right. trying to like remove this from the, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm a little exhausted of of that right now. I like I just feel like I'm just working all the time. So then it's time to go work on Hammerstone stuff on the weekends, and I'm like, punch me in the face. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But, but, and it sucks too, because I really want to work on the Hammerstone stuff because I'm excited about that. Just like, come on, energy, come to me. And so I can work on it. It doesn't help that I'm doing this sleep restriction thing, like right in the middle of it, which is coming together and getting better. But like, I'm still not sleeping. I'm definitely sleep deprived, (laughs) which doesn't help at all. There's no good time to do that. So uh, it is what it is. Oh man, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, so my my grumpiness levels are a little higher than normal. Colleen, to answer your yeah. question from before the podcast started recording, I don't think that I'm normally like this. I think my grumpiness levels are grumpy. higher than normal. Like, yeah, for the record, she did I not didn't say call grumpy. you grumpy. <laughs> I'm calling myself grumpy. I'm definitely grumpy. I think it always helps for people to know, like, when somebody's grumpy and it's not them, because it's otherwise yeah, you're like, it's is he angry at me? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah not, absolutely. I'm really not. I'm just grumpy in general. Honestly, any yeah. kind of sleep deprivation is just the worst. So, um, you know, layering that with your new work responsibilities and and your other stressors, like that's mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, it's all the good stress, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fantastic. I'm super happy about where the career is at at the moment uh, yeah. with everything going on, but <laughs> it's too much. I sometimes am like, yeah should I just quit everything and go like, I got my old job is available. I could probably go back to this. Like, you know, it's this like, I don't know. I probably work 30 hours a week. I just go into the office. Now it's mostly remote. So it's like, you get paid way more than I'm getting paid now to like hardly do anything. Check out back when I did that, I was like, I did that for a few years for, for like a first couple of years. I was trying to start a company on the side, uh, you know, as per usual, my usual MO, <laughs> I'm always doing this. But then for a couple of years, I actually decided to just take a break. It was awesome. I was like, 
I lost 30 pounds. I spent like 15 hours a week on my bike. I was like racing bikes and super fit and relaxed. And <laughs> I'm like, maybe I, I want to do that again someday. Man, I totally think about that sometimes. <laughs> I totally, I totally think like I'm spending a ton of time on side, like side project stuff outside of work. What if I just, what if I just worked like a normal, like a normie? And <laughs> then when it wasn't work time, I like did stuff. <laughs> I've thought about that, but I, I keep like, I keep coming back personally. I keep coming back to like, no, I really like, I really want to do my own thing, but it's really, it's really tempting to be like, nope, five o'clock laptop shut and it stays in the shed and I go in and just like, I don't know. I don't even know what I would do. What would you do with all that time? I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. Like, I guess I could get into Legos or something. I love Legos. I haven't done that in 20 years. Um, but I really, I really have no idea. Um, you get so bored. That's that's what what happened to me. That's what I think. And I started, that's why like, okay, can I just, I'm just going to do some exercise. No, of course I can't just do exercise. I have to be riding my bike 15 hours a week. Like it's a part-time job. Training for something. Doing high level races and like getting injured and stuff like. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Maybe when, I don't know. I don't don't know if it's, I'm capable of not doing that. Colleen, do you feel I don't know what I would do. Oh, so this is like our ongoing family joke. So the other day I said to my husband, maybe I'll just sell simple file upload because maybe you saw like the multiples are insane right now for small sasses. And then, you know, I'll just take a year off. And he looked at me and he was like, you will never take a year off. You were supposed to have that four day a week job where you had Fridays off. You never (laughs) took Fridays off ever. Like, I just don't want to. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think my situation is a little different, though, because I spent five years not working when I was staying home with the kids. And of course, that's mm-hmm. incredibly busy, mm-hmm. but um, also kind of incredibly boring. Like, it's mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. but boring. And so I've done kind of the lower, well, it's not lower stress. I don't mean to say it is. but Different stress. Different kind of stressors. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Like, really. I, I don't know. I told you, Aaron, I started like baking bread and like mm-hmm. doing all kinds of weird, like intense things. <laughs> kind of like you were saying, Sean, like I was like training for this thing and that thing. And I was like arbitrarily, you know, putting restrictions on like, well, we're not going to eat any processed foods for five months. Like, cause I was just, I'm crazy. Had to like have that. something, something yeah, to it's work like I on. Had to have something to achieve, right? Like I just couldn't <laughs> let it go and chill out like a normal person. Couldn't do it. Yep. So yeah. Okay. It good. Doesn't work. <laughs> We're all in good company here. <laughs> well, Sean, I'm sorry that it, it's so much. I did not realize that the the work work was so much. That sounds that sounds really stressful. Oh, that's crappy. Yeah, and I guess I got to add into it. It's like also because Isaac started the school year this year, and we decided. I mean, I think it's a good choice, but it's a it's a huge draw, like a huge pain for us. But we decided to keep him at the school he's at, which is I spent an two hours a day driving him right now. Uh, so I have to just like devote two hours a day. It's only for this year. We're not what? doing that forever, but I, it sucks. Yeah. So I'm like, I end my wrap. I have to, I have to finish. I start. So now I'm waking up at six, kind of get him ready. And then I start at like six thirty seven, and then I work until three thirty, three forty five, And then I got to go drive him. I don't get home till like five thirty, and then I make dinner and he goes to bed. And then, it's like 
I have to be real focused with my time too. Like it just doesn't oh feel like there's enough gosh. time to go around. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a stressful year. Yeah. Just going to be a stressful year. Okay. Well, if you want to drop off now, you can. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. Colleen, what's going on with you? As um, a client. Oh, well, I started w- lifting weights again, and so oh, you that's did? cool. Yeah, <laughs> you said what's going great. on with you. That's what's going on with me. Um, so that's great. So personal, that's good. Client is good. There's a lot. There's a lot. Just a lot of stuff, which is good, right? Like lots of, lots of stuff to work on. So I'm just keep on, keep on in there. Nothing really exciting. Okay. Um, yeah. You said lifting weights again. Have you been super into lifting weights before? Like pre-pandemic. So I was okay. super into lifting weights like pre-pandemic. And then obviously the gyms all shut down. So then I had that trainer that came to my house, but you couldn't get real weights. I no. mean, you couldn't find them to save your life. So we had I had my little dumbbells, which was cool. Anyway, so I found a new gym and, and I'm getting back into that. So that's been fun. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Totally. And I think I mentioned this in Slack, but you said we should hold off. So should we still hold off on the five levels of relationships? You haven't gotten through it yet. <sighs> haven't figured it out yet. Great. For some reason, I, you know, walking through that recursion is hard. Like it's just it's like hard. when you're trying to walk through it, you're it's like, It's very ah. hard. Um, so for some reason it gets, it gets three levels deep and then it's throwing off my base query. Not mm-hmm. my initial query. When I say base, I mean like the lowest level that's actually yep. like where this thing is, this thing. So it's almost there. I think it might be something um, in the way I'm unwrapping them based on, because mm-hmm. in none of our tests do we test multiple level of ch- like children trees, children relation- relationship trees of different kinds of relationships because all the specs pass, all the tests pass. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I wrote a test for it and I'm sorting it out, but it's a, uh, it's a interesting, challenging problem. So, so it's like it has one, then it has many, then it belongs to, then it has one, then it yeah, has and many. Then the ch- yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, it's the double nested. Remember the pending relationship subquery data mm-hmm. structure we built up, mm-hmm. which I need to review. It's the second level child in that data structure mm-hmm. that's having the problem. So I don't know if it's because when I'm unwrapping a children, when I'm unwrapping like the children going back out. Yeah. Back out. I lose one and I don't know why I'm losing one. So I'm not sure if I'm overwriting it because I didn't account for, I don't know what's happening, but I'll, I'll figure it out. So I don't really have anything exciting to share. I don't know. That's pretty exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I I love, I loved that. I don't think anyone else followed it, but I loved that. (laughs) I mean, that part of the problem I think is I don't like, I need to map out, the ideal tree structure for the pending relationship subquery data structure mm-hmm. and just kind of like a tree, right? Like walk, basically walk the nodes of the tree to make sure I'm hitting them where I think I'm hitting them. And so right. that's what I'm going to do today and hopefully figure out where it's getting lost. There's some like oddities to the data structure um, because I decided to change the way I was building it, not the structure itself, but like the way it, um, like would auto populate the values in the key value pairs. Cause like mm-hmm. in Laravel, you were just randomly making nested keys. Yep. You can't well, do ran- that. Random is a strong <laughs> word, but yes, I, I was making nested keys. So I can make nested keys, but I can't 
for example, if if hash a doesn't have a value, I can't just mm-hmm. go hash A with a key Dot A and B. then that with a key of B because A is nil. So it's like, oh, you can't do... So there's a way around that, which is what I'm using, which is cool, but it might be introducing other subtle bugs. Anyway, yep. I'm working that out. But yep, that makes that's sense to me. what I'm doing. Okay, cool. Yeah, we have... Um we have a helper that does that for us. So you can set a dot B dot C and if a and B aren't there, it'll like, you know, populate them or something like that. So I, I get that. Uh, yeah. And you've got, you've got a, you've got a deadline coming up, right? You said you needed to have filters working and ready by, you know, this event that they have. When is that? Uh, end of the month. End of the month. It's kind of a self-imposed deadline. No one was like, we absolutely must have this by then, but I feel like it would be good to have it by then. Um, Mm -hmm. So it is an option. So that is my goal. Yeah, honestly, this one is just, this is the most complicated one. So once I get this, it's all going to fall into place. Like I really feel that way. Um, Because this is like, as we discussed, five level deep relationship, multi-mixing of relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Which this is not our realm they shouldn't, I don't know, five levels away. I feel like there's got to be a better data structure for them um, to be using. We can, t- we can talk about this. Speci- I mean, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. I think that... There's no other way to do it. I mean, I'm sure there is, but the reason they're doing it the way they're doing it makes perfect sense to me. Like, it really okay. does. Well, I think that you can always, right? You can. The problem is they're so... Yes, you could obviously change the data structure so you wouldn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. But there's so many things they want to be able to do that yeah. I think it's smarter to make it work this way or else you're greatly modifying. Like you'd have to be more specific in what you want. And I don't know that the... Oh, I see. So this preserves flexibility. That's yes. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it's not like we must have this the thing. the expert on that. Yeah. So, so it's making sense someday. You know how like in the front end we have Apollo and we have GraphQL so you can like have this middle layer of a graph database in between your back end and your front end so that way you can do um, kind of arbitrary queries on the graph database with like an API that the front end has. I wonder if there's something there for us, you know, longer term of having like a middle layer, supporting a middle layer, which would support faster queries on stuff like this without them having to do, you know, recursive stuff. This is obviously not a small thing whatsoever, but just like if we're, we're focused so much on these query things, I wonder if that makes sense for one day for us to consider doing like actually denormalizing data and pulling things into like a middle layer or enabling that at least. That seems super interesting and you'll have to explain to me at some other time what Apollo actually is, but that sounds fascinating to me. Yeah. Like Apollo solves the problem of front end needs some bit of data from the back end. Uh, the back end would have to then write a special API endpoint for that data, write the queries, mm-hmm. etc. With Apollo, the front end can say, um, okay, so the back end you've already defined, like here's all of the data, here's the structure, and it's in this graph database structure. Then the front end can go and say, okay, uh, I just need this swath of data with these criteria, go get it for me. 
and it goes and gets it from the graph database. If the data is not already there, the middle layer that you write for Apollo goes and gets it from your database and your RDBMS and then populates it into your graph database and then the front end pulls it in. So it's just like this middle layer, which enables almost arbitrary uh, queries from the front end on the data. Uh, it seems pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it just dawned on me. It's like, oh, maybe that's that's an interesting pattern which might apply mm-hmm. to us at some point. Yeah. Huh. Because cool. some queries okay. are just going to be freaking slow if you're going through yeah. five different levels and joins and yeah. Yep. Yep, that's what I'm afraid of. But Colleen, you'll tell us when it happens. <laughs> We'll sort it out. Report back. Yeah. Yep. We'll make it work. Be good cool. learning. Yeah, for real. I think Mike, you know, ob- obligatory Mike Buckby reference. Um, he said we got the deal of the century by having you work on Hammerstone for the client because we're learning just just a massive amount of stuff. And it's yeah. pretty amazing. Okay. Shall we move to something else? Anything else, Colleen? Okay. Mm-mm-mm. Let's see. Um, um, staying on Hammerstone, I don't know how much. I think Colleen, you haven't started really diving into the stabilizers too much because you've been working on the other stuff. Um, but I spent a bunch of time over the weekend working on the Laravel stabilizers. Um, so just as reference for everyone else, stabilization is the process by which a filter turns into a reproducible string. So like you can put it in your URL, you can put it in your database or whatever, and then that string can turn back into a filter. So it's like for sharing filters, saving them, that kind of thing. Um, I got all of the Laravel ones set up with prefixes. So now every stabilizer, um, every stabilizer has a unique prefix. So if somebody's using database stabilization in one spot in their app and URL stabilization in another spot in their app, then the refine library can correctly differentiate which stable ID goes with which stabilizer, right? So when you call from stable ID, refine will be able to know, oh, this stable ID, I need to run through the URL encoded one and this stable ID, I need to run through the database encoded one, right? Because if we're giving stable IDs to users and saying like, all right, this one, this one's URL, this one's database, and then they come back with a stable ID, we need to be able to tell which stabilizer it came from. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes total sense. So basically you're never calling from stable ID on one of the child classes, like URL encoded stable ID or database stable ID. Exactly. So I'm always calling okay. filter filter from stable ID and then the filter inspects the stable ID that it was given and does the differentiation as to how to unstabilize it, how to turn it back into a filter. And you're doing wow. that just you're just pulling the string off the front, right? Yeah, so each filter now requires a prefix. So it's okay. just like just like UE for URL encoded and DB for database. So 
the the stable ID is now two characters longer, and we just pull those off the front, instantiate the right class, and then give the stable ID to that class, and it can do its thing. That makes sense. So I committed that, and Colleen, whenever you get to stabilize, there's no rush at all. We can talk through it again, and it'll it'll make more sense when your headspace is there. I mean, I think it makes total sense. You're literally just doing a string, like a like you said, a prefix string, but you're doing that to help the just to kind of help the developer not have to remember which stabilizer well, they're uncoding, e- encoding, unencoding. Yes, to help the developer, but also to solve for the situation when it's so like if it's a tight loop and it's like controller view, controller view, we know which stabilizer we're working with because it's the one that we are using in that controller or whatever. Yeah. But in the case where um in the case where we may not know where this stable ID came from, we need to be able to um, unencode it regardless of where it came from. Don't we right? always so we know? Have, we don't always know. Um, because we have, I think maybe in the client, we might always know. In, in the client you're working on, we might always know. But we have the concept of automatic stabilization. So every filter that gets run returns a stable ID and that's kind of what we put in the URL bar, right? And then we have the concept of um, manual stabilization and that's where you would like click the save button and name it like Colleen's Great Filter, right? And those two can be separate stabilizers, right? So the automatic is probably URL encoded so we're not, you know, plugging up the database and the um, manual is probably database so that it stays around forever and we have a record of it. Right. So then you've got two different stable IDs and how the user ends up using those is kind of up to them. Right. Or somewhere else in the app, we could take in a stable ID and not know which one of those two it came from. Yeah. That you, seem, sense. You, you seem quizzical. <laughs> I always wondered why, why do we even have a database stable ID? Like the stable ID in the URL encoded one contains all of like the entire filter. So why, why do we need anything else? Like we have, you, we, why can't we just give developers, here's the stable ID, save it to a database if you want. Okay. Let me see if I understood that correctly. So why, why do we give them a database stabilizer versus giving them just a stabilizer and saying, do whatever you want with it? No stabilizer, just like, hey, give me the ID for this. For the uh, I don't know, call it. I wouldn't even call it an ID. Call it like um, com- the compressed right data the serialized of the filter. Of serialized, yeah, serialize this filter for me. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that we give them back that goes into the URL because that contains by necessity everything it needs in order to reproduce mm-hmm. the filter. Why do we need anything else other than that? Why? I'm not. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Like no, what no, the use no, case is. Like because yeah. hey, we got this. We got this value contains everything you need. Why don't we just expose only that to developers and then you decide what you want to do with it. Save it to yes. a database column, put it in a URL, whatever. Yes. Um, so, okay. So I understand the question. Um, one is developer experience, developer convenience. I mean, giving the to and from like somebody's going to have to write that plumbing 
right? So somebody's going to have to write the unserialized deserialized or serialized deserialized part. Um, and so if we can write it for them, like the way that we do it is we take the entire state, encode it, compress it, and URL encode it. Um, and then we run it backwards when it comes back. So that's a nice thing that we can do for our clients, our consumers. Um, and then it's really nice in terms of like, why don't we just give them that URL? Because we can put on the filter itself, um, like automatically stabilize this through the URL encoder or automatically stabilize this through the database encoder. And it handles all of that plumbing at that level for them. So they can just have a database encoder and say, it's this model with this column and put the team and user ID on it as well. And then automatically like it's a first class citizen that we have built in um, so that they don't have to in a controller, in a command line, in a whatever, they don't have to do that themselves. But we feel like the stabilizer is this unnecessary noun. I mean, cause I get what you're saying that we want to make it, we want to save them the trouble of having to put together the uh, boilerplate of connecting mm-hmm. and saving to a database column. Mm-hmm. Right. But how much do we actually save them by having the database stabilizer class? You still have to write the code that says, get the ID or get the uh, serialized version of the filter, save it to a column. Like they that. have to write that. That's what the database stabilizer does. Oh, so they don't have to specify the table that it's going to be saved in. They don't have to. No. All of that. So should we ship with a stabilizer that you can use that then automatically connects to the database and has in Rails has the migrations that we need to add the table and like mm-hmm. all that stuff? Yep. Got it. That makes sense. Yep. And if they want to change it, they can extend it and like, you know, change the column name and they don't have to write the whole class. They can just say, you know, I just want to override this one method. So yeah, we ship with all of that. That's a good idea. I got it. Yeah. So did a bunch of work on that this weekend. I think they're better now. Um, Rewrote some docs and I'm much more pleased with it. And I have the huge benefit of nobody has Laravel stable IDs out in the wild. So I don't have to worry about breaking anything. So it's not what I did is not backwards compatible and it doesn't matter. So I'm, Super thrilled about that. Um, yeah, they're doing. Had, oh, go ahead. I was going to say they're doing something with stable IDs, which I didn't really see coming. Is every Ooh. everyone has to have a stable ID? So basically, if you don't, if you haven't defined a filter, they make you kind of a, a default example filter. Mm-hmm. Give it a stable ID and give it to you. So it's it's kind of a because it's, it's in your initial form. Like your initial, mm-hmm. if you're creating a new thing, they give you our filter. And mm-hmm. if you don't select anything, they just give you a default, but you're required. Then the, the model is required to that instance has a stable ID. Ooh, okay. Why do they, <laughs> I don't know if I fully understand, but why do they do that? It's like a, it's bullet, just the way it's integrated in bullet train, I think. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's, it's cool though. Like it's neat. I actually, I think it's cool. It kind of threw me off at first. I was like, why are they doing this? 
but I think it's it's kind of a neat way to use it because they always have like a default. You're basically showing the user, here's how you could use this filter. It's like, here's a default mm. filter. Um, so I think it's cool, but it it's... So like in Bullet Train, you could scaffold a model. So, okay, Bullet Train scaffolding means uh, Bullet Train takes when you're like, mo- like generating a model in Laravel and Rails, probably the same thing, similar thing where you have to like... Mm-hmm spit out all the SQL to create it and do all this stuff. Um, so bullet train adds special fields that you can add to the model outside of rails, uh, the rails framework. And in this case, it adds a filter field. So you could add a filter field to your contacts table, for example, uh, which then when somebody goes to edit the, um, a contact or sorry, the contacts table, so when you're in that index view, you can add a filter, which then is shared across all contacts, I think. So the idea would be like there's you can you could create um, product specific filters, which then and you can edit them in the sort of like basic admin CRUD app. And then it would be available. Uh, everywhere. So it's tied to the table. It's cool, man. This bullet train stuff. It's cool. It's I cool. haven't. I'm not a Rails developer, so I like haven't dived into it all. But I think this is going to be a huge win for us being bullet train compatible and or, you know, first and a half party bullet train. I'm yeah, it depends on what Andrew that. does with it. Yeah, totally agree. Exactly. Exactly. Um, one other thing. Let's see. Um, I got us set up on ConvertKit. Yay! Um, yeah, so That's I don't great. know if yeah, I don't know how the teams work. I may just share my password. I don't really know. Um, but I got a set up on um there with like a proper account, did the DKIM thing on our domain so we can send and not get, you know, blacklisted or whatever. Yeah. Um because we've got like three hundred and seventy people on the torchlight Whoa. email. That's list. amazing, Aaron. <laughs> I know. Wow. People just yeah, so I had been sending them out, you know, manually, the early access stuff manually from Gmail. And finally I was like, I have got to get, because there are things I want to update them on, like stuff I've added to the API and new clients we've created. And it's like, oh, I can't just keep sending it from Gmail. That feels bad. So we've got everybody imported into ConvertKit. um, And we weirdly have like 10 or 11 people signed up for the refine early access list. Oh, because I added um, I added a link and a form to the home the Hammerstone homepage, so now you can go to Hammerstone and it's like, hey, this isn't released yet, but you can go sign up, and ten or twelve people have already signed up. So once we start, like, awesome, yeah. Once we start putting like little teasers out there, I'm going to point people more to the refine um, early access list, and we'll get we'll get all of those people too. So it may be too late for this because it's already kind of a sunk cost, but it might not have made sense to go with ConvertKit. Tell me. For what we're doing. Because, well, ConvertKit's expensive relative to, I mean, it's, it's, if you're making money with your mailing list, it's not expensive at all. It's a no brainer okay. if you're doing email automation. So if you're building email campaigns, mm-hmm. um, courses, green funnels, funnels, all this stuff, then convert kit pays for itself more than enough. But then if you're not doing any of that and you're just like sending broadcast emails, mm-hmm. it's a waste of money. Okay. So, so MailChimp better? has, 
for this, just a broadcast email, MailChimp has like a free tier for up to some number of emails, which we could probably use for a while. And then it's also okay. a lot easier. Well, it was. I haven't looked at ConvertKit for a few years. ConvertKit well, is seriously. Not, not my favorite. So I'm not, I'm not really married to it. It's not super easy to use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for just a simple broadcast email? No. <laughs> it's yeah, not. Yeah, kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can move us to MailChimp. I mean, I don't know that we've actually paid yet. I think we're still maybe within the seven day. I did upgrade to like the $29 a month plan, but I don't think we've actually paid. Um, so I can move us over to MailChimp. I don't really have a problem with yeah, that. Yeah, if we're just doing broadcasts. And from my perspective, I can't see us doing a ton of email marketing with this. No. For a while at least. It doesn't yeah. really no, Nothing sense. beyond broadcasts, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so... Like, I, I don't know. So like I've right in the old list, I have 20,000 people there and that's in convert kit and that's over $200 a month. It sucks. Cause I'm like, and you don't, oh. you don't send them anything. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, there's still oh. people signing up. So they go through my whole automated sequence and randomly oh. from time to time I get a sale. So it kind of almost pays for itself. Uh, it's, it was like a hundred dollars shy of paying for itself last year. But the, but that's just like this absolutely tiny trickle of sales that I have mm-hmm. at this point from not thinking about that side of the business for like four years. So that, and then now I'm, now that I'm paying that and I'm kind of stuck cause I'm like, okay, do I, mm-hmm. I have to do the work to rip it out, to do something simpler, uh, which is going to take me probably a couple of days and then I'm like, I could do that or pay $200. And I make that decision basically every month. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, that's what you said. Convert kit. And I was like, no. Yeah. I kind of stuck just in there again, made the decision and cause I didn't want to bother anyone and just like get it done, but I can move it to MailChimp. That's fine. Yeah. It's not like it's the end of the world either way. Cause we're just using it for broadcast, but yeah, it gets expensive fast to add emails to convert kit and it's by email address. Yeah, that's silly to me. Um, so it looks like MailChimp has a free plan up to 2,000 contacts, um, but they have branding. They keep the MailChimp branding on it. And for f- the, to remove the branding and have up to 500 contacts, which is how many we have, it would be $10 a month with MailChimp. So I kind of want to go with the custom brand, the no MailChimp branding and pay $10. Yeah. That's fine. Feel good about that? Agreed. Totally. Okay, I'll switch us over. Hey, speaking speaking of the success of Torchlight, how's that Tell going? Me. Didn't you hire, didn't we hire someone <laughs> to build it out on the Rails side? Because um, I totally yes. want it. I'm like, when do I get to use this? <laughs> so. Yeah. So Andrew has put me in touch with his guy that does a bunch of bullet train stuff. Um, okay. And we're going to, we're going to, I'm writing something up for him. So he knows like what to do and how to do it. And then we will have it on the rails side. Um, so yeah, that is, that is coming. It's waiting on me to write like the specs and stuff, but okay. then I forget what his name is. Um, but then he'll take over. So it's coming. I'm thrilled that you want it. That makes oh, me I totally feel super do. great. It's um, so how does it work? Is it if I, now if I spin up a Laravel app, do mm-hmm. I just add like a JS snippet you provide me? And then that lets there's me no JavaScript. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's all server side clients. So, um, 
on let's say the Laravel side, it so like as the request, it gives you a custom component on the Laravel side. So instead of saying using the HTML code tag, you yeah. would use um, Torchlight code. So Laravel okay. gives you a way to make custom components. Okay. Um, and so you would use that. Torchlight captures the contents of that tag. Okay. And um, like leaves a placeholder. So okay. it goes through the page, captures all the contents, leaves a placeholder, one, two, three, four. And then on the way out, it takes all of the code and sends it out to the Torchlight API, mm-hmm. gets it all highlighted, it comes back and it swaps it in to the placeholders. So your response going out to the browser has fully highlighted code, fully baked HTML and everything. So the general theory is gather all the code blocks on a page, send it out, get it back, swap in highlighted stuff, send it to the browser. Okay. So the question then is how is that performant at all? Is that the question? <laughs> that is the question. <laughs> that is the question. Um, so we do a couple of things. One is once we, we cache the blocks based on like a hash basically. So of the contents of the block, the, um, options that you've chosen, the theme, et cetera, we, you know, all the server side clients cache it based on a hash of each block. Okay. So most of the time it doesn't go out to the API at all. Because ah. we cache it for seven, yeah. 14 days, whatever. So most of the time, it never hit. It just pulls it from the cache and swaps it in. Yeah. Um, otherwise, when it does go to the API, that's why we that's why we um, catch them all on one page and then send it off. Because if you were to send off a request each time, you'd be hosed, right? Um, so we get all the blocks and send them to the API at once. Okay. And if there are too many blocks on a page, the API itself will fan out back to itself, right? So if there are, if you send a hundred blocks to the API, mm-hmm. the API will look at it and say, well, that's, I'm not going to get that done in a reasonable request time. So I'm going to break those down into chunks of 10 and send those out to the API so that you basically fan out to 10 processes and then it puts them back together and sends it back to you. Okay. So, yeah. And on that note, just real quick, we're going long, but on that note, um, speaking of clients, I wrote a common mark two client, which is a PHP markdown parser. Someone else reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm writing a symphony client. Is that okay with you? Symphony is another PHP framework. And I was like, yeah, that's okay with me. Like you're, you're writing a, a client for us like that's amazing it's like yeah i just really want it in symphony Um, so i thought i thought i would write it and then like 20 minutes ago i got a twitter notification that said um this guy tim kleiersberg says yo aaron on twitter yo aaron you told me in your early access to tell you about things we've built so yeah i built a plug-in for 11t to easily highlight um content with torchlight so he just linked me to this repo where he's got an 11 T plugin and you can oh, just wow. like, <laughs> yeah. can I see that? I'm yeah, going to use I'll, it in Netlify. That'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. I'll put it in our, I'll drop it in our chat. I need to respond to him. He literally tweeted me right before That's we got awesome. on the show, but it's like, <laughs> man, we're getting all of this great, like community support people doing all of this really great stuff for us. And I think, 
like I had hoped that this would happen, but the split between Torchlight is free for personal and open source, and then it costs money for businesses. I feel like that's a real, like a real good way to go because then all of these people that are like, oh, I want it, you know, I want it for my blog or I want it for my docs or whatever. They're like, oh, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll spend some time and build out a client. Yeah, sure. That, that, that's fine with me. That's and awesome. it's like, it, it benefits the community and it benefits, you know, Hammerstone. So I'm pretty pumped about that. It's exciting. Yeah. So I got to reach out to this guy and say, man, what a legend. So we've got two community um, packages now, Symphony and 11T. And it's like, just, it's thrilling. So, and we'll get, we'll get you your Ruby one as soon as we can. <laughs> Um, okay. I think, I mean, I think that's all I had. Yep. 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 I'll get us moved over to MailChimp. Um, and then I will also, I think we talked about this in Slack, but Sean, I'll handle the packaging of the view client so that it, people can NPM install it and stuff. Um, so I'll handle that. Yeah. Um, whenever I was trying whenever to think the if there's comes. other conditions that I might be able to hand off to you. The thing about that is what that would require would be basically documentation, which I do need to do, but I don't Mm. need to do it for our first release. So I kind of feel like Mm. I should not do that because I don't think it would save me time given the amount of time that we have. Right. Um, but other than that, the only other thing on the front end you could easily help me with would be writing some tests, which would be just like feature tests, like uh, click on stuff and then, you know, like ingest or whatever. Do you uh, have a few of those already? Because the hard part for, the, for me is writing the first anything. If I can pattern it after something else, that's easier for me. I got to look. I know I wrote test for the renderless, renderless stuff, um, but I can't remember if I did it for any of the Tailwind components yet i think i did a few uh and then i also have i have some i have documentation so i'm kind of writing as i go Mm because basically i started as i started from like write the api that i would like to build uh, that i would like to use and then implementing it so i have that but that plus if i could get you one tailwind example would you could probably run with it and then yeah but that's like like the package thing will be incredibly helpful to me because I have no idea how to do it. And it would just be like this whole extra project. It's, it is soul crushing. So I will handle that because I've done one recently. Yeah. And if you, you want to get your soul crushed. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Um, if you want to get the testing file set up with one test and then a bunch of to do's, that would be easy, easier for me to pick up and come in and just like knock out some of those to do's or skip tests or whatever. Okay. Okay. We good. Anything else? Okay. See y'all later.